0: Hi everybody, this is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas on Wednesday, February the 7th, and it's always a great treat, an absolutely wonderful treat when we are joined by the one and only Leslie Eastman, a great friend of our show and contributor to Legal Insurrection. It's always so wonderful when I see your face on the other side of the screen. How are you, Leslie? It's always great to have you. Welcome.
1: Happy to be here and a big hello to the Canto Talk audience I am really really happy to be able to break away from the chaos that is my life to visit with y'all once again. And really I think it's great as we start into the 2024 uh, election year to like take a look at where we're at now and I'm glad I'm sharing news and views with you today, Sylvia.
0: Well, it's it's absolutely great. Always fun to to have you. You know, we first our very first chat that we did, I looked it up. It was in In the middle of 2012, in June, I think, in 2012. And so we have had quite a few chats over the years, and it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, And today, I'm sure, will be just great. But I want to say this. um, Today is the 60th anniversary of something that you probably don't remember. And I don't remember it either, except that I'm, I'm a big fan of the Beatles. Today is the 60th anniversary of the Beatles arriving in the United States. Uh, they landed at JFK Airport, We had just had just been renamed or JFK because he, he had only been killed a couple of months before. So they landed and uh, you'll see all kinds of references to that today in the news. So the Beatles plus 60, if you can believe that. I mean, that is mind boggling that something like that would happen 60 years ago. So anyway, I just just wanted to mention that it was very historic, Leslie. And if you go back and you look at some of those interviews and videos, the whole country was really turned on by them, Leslie.
1: Yes. Well, they did make some amazing music. and I know music is important to a lot of our audience and music helps us get through tough times and uh, especially the early Beatles, very upbeat. So probably a good choice as we're heading into 2024 to put on some of those classic Beatles tunes. And I fun fact about my wedding, 25 years ago, I'll be hitting my 25th wedding anniversary, uh, Twist and Shout was the second song on my wedding playlist. I wanted that to be the first song, but my husband insisted on something more romantic. So,
0: Well, <laughs> Twist and shout. shout was one of their great songs.
1: Yes. That's <laughs> one of their, in
0: fact, I think, I think if my memory um, I remember watching the video. I think that may have been one of the songs that they did on the Ed Sullivan show. When they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, they had they did six songs that day. And that may have been one of them, but don't hold me to that. But that was a great song. I mean, they there was another version of that song by a, a group called the Isley Brothers. And that's the the other version that was also a hit. But the Beatles had the big one. The Beatles uh, had the version that everybody listens to. And I remember reading that when they recorded that song, they waited and they were in the studio and they waited until the very last song they were recording. Because John had to you know scream so much in that song that they wanted to save his voice as much as possible. So that was the last song they recorded uh, in the studio in their very first album. But that's a great song. So did you really enjoy dancing to it? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, my, my wedding, the music playlist, we had a great band. It was just like, we stayed, we danced the whole night. I mean, That's it's not great. traditional, but I insisted and, you know, I dragged my husband and sure, he had a good time too. It was, a, it was a wonderful experience.
0: Well, thank you. I'll have to remember that. I'll have to remember that you were, you are a twist and shout lady. I'll yes. have to remember that uh, the next time we have you on. But Leslie, there's a lot of big news, but I want to begin by picking your brain a little bit. Uh, It it does look very likely that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. I mean, it's unlikely that I mean, it would take some something out of the completely out of the ordinary for for him not to be. And so that, you know, raises a lot of questions as to what kind of person he should choose. And at this point, I'm not necessarily asking you to give me a name. But well, what kind of personality, what kind of person do you think would, would be a good fit for him on the ticket? I've got an idea, but please give me yours.
1: Well, well my, my takeaway is I do not think the vice president pick is going to have any substantial influence on who people go to the polls and vote for. I If Biden remains the current candidate. It's going to be strictly what people feel about Biden versus what people feel about Trump at that particular moment. So I think the VP pick for Trump, it's not going to be based on the standard calculations that team makes. It just won't. You toss those out. In fact, we're at historic period. You just toss those calculations right out the door because it truly is going to be those two candidates and what people feel about them. If Trump, if I were to advise Trump, I would say he should lean into the one thing that he truly can bring to the table and differentiates him, and that is revenge. Revenge for everything that he has experienced, the January 6th investigations, the unfair and needless impeachments based on Trump dot charges and false allegations, So he should just lean into it. And if I were to advise him to pick a candidate, pick the candidate that would support that, we'll say plank, and that would be General Michael Flynn. What happened to General Michael? Flynn was an atrocity. uh, General Flynn is a patriot, certainly well qualified to serve in any position on the Trump administration. And why not the vice presidency? So that's my two cents. I mean, there, there are other... I'm sure, highly qualified individuals. I I sure hope Trump picks one who really will be competent in the position and be able to discharge whatever the priorities are. Um, hope it's better than Pence was for Trump. So I'm just going to say that. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it, Again, the terms of calculations, just toss the usual calculations at the door, you know, and, and Trump should, uh, I'm going to be interested to see where he goes with his pick.
0: Yeah, no, I've heard I've heard that he is, he's going to surprise everybody when he picks up. I mean, there's some talk that he could pick, for example, the CEO, that banker that came out last week, uh, who's the CEO, I think, of Bank of America or Chase. Somebody like that completely out of the political world. But my choice and uh, or my recommendation would be Mike Pompeo. And I'll tell you why. He was the secretary of state, you know, CIA, West Point, congressman, a a man who is really strong on national security. And the reason that I say that is because I believe that come July and August that national security is going to be foremost in the minds of people, there are some problems around the world that are just absolutely horrific. And I'm hoping none of it turns into a war, but when you've got that many fires going on, perhaps one will. And again, I'm hoping not, but you never know. And a guy like Mike Pompeo, I think would give the, the, the citizens, the voters, uh, a sense of security that Trump is going to have the right kind of advice, uh, around him. So that would be my choice. Mike, uh, Pompeo. Uh, but that leads me to another question that I, it just occurred to me. Uh, a lot of people are saying that it should be a woman. And I I honestly don't think that people care that much about that stuff anymore. No. Uh, I mean, that's my feeling. Maybe you as a woman have a different view, but uh, my, I think that a lot of people on our side just say, pick the best person and get over this identity politics stuff. Do you think I'm wrong?
1: No, like I said, I, I think th- That kind of thinking, it will not weigh with Trump this time around and should not weigh with anybody this time around. Um, Really, I think the country would be best served by both men picking a vice presidential candidate who would be able to be a good executive officer and fill that role should either of them become disabled or not not able to continue on being a president. And that should be the one sole calculation that they make. And again, I suggest Michael Flynn because Michael Flynn is able, probably, to do that based on his experience as a national level general. And again, it ties into your security concerns too. Uh, Pompeo certainly, and there are a number of other people qualified on the Republican side. Um, so we will see. I, again, I don't think it really does matter. I think you people go to the polls thinking Trump, thinking Biden, or Alternatively, anti-Trump or anti-Biden, depending on the nature of their personal calculations. No, I, I
0: think you're 100% correct in that. This
1: will be a totally emotionally driven election.
0: Absolutely. People are going to
1: go to the polls with their emotions this time. And and the sooner that people begin realizing it for the strategists in both parties, the the, the more effective they will personally probably be.
0: No, I agree 100% with you. I agree 100% with you that it's going to be people are angry. There's a lot of emotion out there. And I think you're exactly right about that. But again, getting back to my point, I just don't think that that the idea that he has to have a woman as vice president for whatever reason, I just don't think that registers with people on our side. And I think in the country as a whole, people feel like there are so many problems that they just want to feel confident With the choices. It isn't so much their gender or their skin color. It's going to be more is this person, like you said, qualified to be president? Should something happen to Trump, who, after all, is going to be 78 years old when he becomes president? I mean, you cannot discount the age, even though he looks great and he's very solid and very coherent. Still, you know, that's not usually an age that we elect presidents you know we usually uh elect presidents a little younger but let's get into some topics i i i'm always fond of checking your articles at legal insurrection and you just wrote uh, a couple here that i really liked and i liked you to talk about them uh the first one is that you said the tide is turning yeah on on energy policy and i have been feeling that we've been watching what's going on in europe you have of course with the farmers and all of that and we're we're seeing you know uh, little things like, for example, this company hurts, you know, the rental company uh, mm-hmm. shutting or, or at least doing away with all the electric cars because nobody wanted to rent them. They're they're more a, of a headache than anything else. So give me some examples of how the tide is turning uh, and share with the listeners some of the things that you wrote, Leslie.
1: Well, I, it's been a long time coming but one of the things I've always wanted the fossil fuel industries to do was to practice lawfare against the climate activists. Uh, the fossil fuel industries have been guilty of trying to get along with them and capitulate and negotiate, and compromise, and all it. Gets them are more protests and people tossing soup at the Mona Lisa in the Louvre in Paris. So there is no negotiation when you are talking a bunch of with a bunch of climate cultists. So once the fossil fuel industry accepts that, then they can proceed with the next, which is battle. And now Exxon Mobil. It's not dropping a lawsuit. It has against two climate activists who tried to stall one of their shareholders meetings with a bunch of tactics. Uh, They they pulled the proposals out, those two activists did, but ExxonMobil is proceeding with those lawsuits. And I can't stress this enough. Uh, The the fossil fuel companies have got to go back and reminding people, as they used to do, better living through chemistry. You it oil is not evil. You know, gas and oil exploration is not going to kill the planet. There are a lot of falsehoods out there regarding carbon dioxide and its contribution to the atmosphere. In fact, its level of presence in the atmosphere. So going in and lawfare, number one, but the Oil companies should devote some of those monies to to better education. Our educational system is being gutted in terms of the sciences. So pseudoscience, like the kind being promoted by client theologians, is taking charge in the public education system. So there's a lot our fossil fuel companies can do, and that lawsuit says to me, that finally, ExxonMobil and the rest of our petroleum industry is finally getting it. It's time to target those not governmental agencies and organizations who have been getting funds, directing funds, and fly, violent, fighting You know, sensible policy. And that was the first sign to me that we are beginning to have counteroffensives. And that brought joy to my heart because it's been a long time coming.
0: You know, uh, let me just add something to that. That I sent you an article that uh, appeared in the Dallas Morning News. I think it was a local distribution, uh, but it it talks about how many young people, and it goes back to what you just you just said, how many young people are being taught in the schools. You know, this climate change religion, and this these young people, of course, are going to be voting. And the the point of the article was that uh, these these young people are bringing those climate change ideas to the ballot box and voting for people who give them this climate change nonsense. And and I think that's also another challenge that the oil companies and these energy producers have of maybe educating our young people a little bit better so Mm -hmm. that they're not just voting, you know, they're not just sitting there believing everything that John Kerry tells them or Al Gore tells them that they have at least the ability to to be more balanced in their view, Leslie.
1: Well, I'm such balanced in the view, but grounded in proper scientific theory you know where you have data you collect data you evaluate the data against the theories that hypothesis you propose and if the data doesn't go along with those, the hypothesis it's not proper and it can't be presented as fact and there is a lot of data out there that counters a lot of the climate change narratives and Statistics and models have shown time and time again that the amount of warming has been overstated considerably, and there have been number manipulations done, um, and that's just to start with. And uh, the more our oil companies could get in and begin the pro- painful process of re-education from the ground up and help us reclaim our real science back. Our country is going to be much better off for it.
0: Oh, absolutely! No, absolutely. Now, you also wrote an article that uh, uh, about the UN funding, and again, it kinda, again it gets back to the schooling again or education. Mm-hmm. UN funding, climate uh, activism in states. A lot of that money ends up in classrooms where you know the students are being taught all this stuff, and then these you know these students turn into a bunch of climate change alarmists. Uh, mm-hmm. And how they vote and all of that. Tell me about that. The UN funding climate uh, activism, and you said it was twelve states that it was. It's
1: twelve that. states, and it, you know, interestingly, the North Carolina happens to be one of the bigger states. Um, uh, it the group wired about five and a half million dollars to twelve state governments, and it went to a variety of different departments. Sure, the education department might be some, but with was the Department of Transportation and other government to fund bureaucrats whose sole purpose is to develop green policy, implement green policy, which ultimately leads to restrictions on profitability and efficiency and our companies and also limits our company's ability to hire people. It is destructive to the economy, especially since what the U.N. wants to do is implement policies that support global agendas, global agendas which may not be to the benefit of our country. So I really, really would stress that the citizens of North Carolina, uh, Maine, New Mexico, Michigan, Colorado, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Massachusetts, Nevada, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Wisconsin have a real good look-see as to uh, their departments and what their departments are doing and realize that some portion of the departmental funding have come from the United Nations globalist. And uh, as I pointed out in several columns before, it's gotten to the point now that those globalists they're realizing people have been are fed up and are beginning to more directly push back. Now in Dubai, that pushback came in the form of the host of the UN conference, the Conference of Parties. It's the annual celebration, glitterati, private chats, caviar, champagne, da 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 bureaucrats supporting all these agendas, meeting and greeting and and connecting and for the good of humanity. the host of that basically told the climate activists that fossil fuels weren't going anywhere. And that was point number one. And indeed, their plans got kickback, pushback, and net zero is more, we'll say, is a theory for the distant future and kicked down even further which is the first time I've really seen significant pushback. In addition, in Dubai, a bunch of industries, such as the meat industry, came in to disrupt them with their own set of statistics and their own set of realities. So that was a real, again, pushing back. The tide is turning on on this green climate theology. Insect eating, net zero, no carbon dioxide agenda that, been thrust upon us for years
0: right but Leslie one thing that did puzzle me is why would you hold a climate change meeting in a country like Dubai which is an oil producing giant I mean yes, I, you, it I mean is
1: such a rich country right. and and <laughs> those resorts spectacular if you were going to some some place to have a comfy comfy conference that would be a Great place to go. Um,
0: no, I I understand. I mean, I get that. I mean, Dubai is, wasn't that where they had the World Cup a couple oh, of yeah, years ago? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, they, they throw, no. They threw
1: a mean, party there. No, no no judgment on that. Locate, great choice, Location.
0: No, I mean, I've, I've had people who, who told me they went to the World Cup, and they say the place is unbelievable. I mean, anything you want, they have. But it just, when I first heard, I guess my reaction when I first heard that they were going to have this climate change, meeting in dubai i i had to say wait a minute are you sure it's dubai the one i'm thinking of or is there a a city named dubai somewhere else but but anyway yes uh may, maybe they may, maybe some of the some people should turn the trick on on the activist by maybe throwing tomato soup on one of their pictures that that would be kind of <laughs> oh, cool. no.
1: well well uh, back up they are sort of doing that Because now the farmers are protesting all throughout Europe. So that's the equivalent, but I think more effective because it's continental level. That is how upset they are. And apparently the head of the uh, European Parliament, who is enforcing rules such as pesticide control slashing, that was supposed to cut 50% of pesticides, they're rolling back that was agenda items because they recognize that in Netherlands, the new farmers party was the most popular and now the most powerful party there. So, yes, the farmers are taking back their agency. They're taking back their countries. And I don't think this is the last event of manure tossing, highway blocking, Uh, protesting from our European compatriots. And and it's just, and back in the States, it's not quite the farmers yet, but we have 12 um, officials from the agricultural department. So 12 agricultural department leaders from 12 different States, they are putting a lawsuit together, protesting in ESG policies against some of the major banking. So that's how it looks. In our country, so right. again, the tide is turning because people are now finding the backbone and pushing back on the screen. Well, agenda.
0: no, you're exactly right, and I think another thing people are finding out is that their electricity bills go up when when these things, and their gasoline prices go up too. So it, it is. You're right. I, I love the article about the turning tide because it is turning indeed. Well, we. Time always flies when I visit with you, but I do want to get into another topic here and I want to get your perspective of this being outside of Texas. Obviously, we here in Texas, we're very familiar with what's happening on on the border. Uh, Governor Abbott, as I'm sure you know, has been very aggressive. uh, Good thing that he has been on the border. He took over this space at Eagle Pass and he's doing a great job, I think, and he seems to be enjoying popular support. How do you see this from your from your, uh, let's say, from where you are, looking at what's happening on our border and our governor uh, Leslie.
1: Well, um, you know, uh, and first of all, thanks to your governor for having probably the single most effective anti-illegal immigration policy ever enacted which was sending those immigrants up to these sanctuary cities and states where they get to live their sanctuary city and state status in full. So as an American, thank you, Governor Abbott. As a Californian, boy, baby, (laughs) it's just like... So it, it's all chaos here. They're uh, Bill M- Mnuchin from Fox uh, has covered our border now. They're screaming through uh, our crime levels were already shooting through the roof. The only thing we have going for this in California right now is the fact that our state is so incredibly damaged and horrendous right now. It's too awful to live in. So they illegal immigrants will probably end up going somewhere elsewhere i can't see how the feces lined streets of san francisco appeals to anybody at this right. juncture but on, on a more serious note uh it is evident there are more organized crime games that are sweeping through the wealthy neighborhoods and so our enclaves that have enjoyed we'll say a detachment from the policies especially related to crime that the rest of us have been living with now are more on the front lines so again enjoy the sanctuary state status that y'all voted for cuz we this is this is it for a while
0: right but one of the interesting things about the the consequences of what the governor has done on the border is that he has pretty much shut down the border. I mean, the numbers of people coming in
1: through, uh, are through, down to yeah. single digits. Through Texas, through Texas, true. Yeah. But they're coming in now through Arizona. Well, that's
0: it. They're going to. California,
1: where we have, shall we say, not such robust pro-American leadership.
0: Right, I know, unfortunately. It, but it, it, but it, they're it, going into one state, Leslie. They're going to Arizona, but they're going into one state that, that is completely unprepared for any of this. And that's Arizona. It's a very small state. They don't really have the resources. And that's the one state, I think, where they could really cause a lot of harm. And California too, of course, but but Arizona- California, well,
1: okay, what do they do? Come on in, we'll take care of your medical bills. Yeah, you know, just- amazing. If, if Arizona, I don't think Arizona is a sanctuary state. All I have to say- is Arizona, you know, you want to do something like Abbott does, send them, I hate to say this is California, but send them to California, make us live with the sanctuary state that, again, Sacramento, you know, proud. again, this all goes back to Trump because sanctuary status became a a symbol of anti-Trump defiance. And there are consequences when you decide to make policy a virtue-signaling statement instead of an accessible rule to enhance the security and prosperity of your people. And welcome to California.
0: Right. Well, you know, Leslie, you mentioned anti-Trump, and that's exactly right, because all of this, the battle here in Texas over sanctuary cities goes back to 2017, the first yes. year. that, And that was the year that the governor, that we passed the law back then here in the legislature, the governor signed it. And it was basically uh, about sanctuary cities, saying saying that they wouldn't be tolerated. But if you remember, the issue back then was not so much people coming in, migrants like now. It was a, a question of people hiding away from ICE, so they could go into a sanctuary city and they wouldn't be they wouldn't be turned over to ICE. Mm-hmm. And that was the issue that the sanctuary cities were about. And and the governor said, "No, we're not doing that in Texas." So they shut that down and i can still remember people in new york and chicago and denver and yes in california calling us racist and calling us every name in the book because we did not want this and then the governor and what has to go it's got when the move when the governor sent these people that's going to go down in the hall of fame of political strategy yeah. because that was a brilliant move mm-hmm. and 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 all of a sudden these people started getting migrants and then all of a sudden my goodness! It, it all turned, as they say, hit the fan, mm-hmm. and it's right now, uh, as yeah. you're seeing, as you're seeing in these cities, the rebellion yeah. is going on.
1: When you have Black Chicago residents saying, begging their city council to reverse the sanctuary city status they hold, and targeting Biden and saying it's Biden's policies, and they are actually willing to consider a Republican candidate, you know that. The policy has had the intended effect of really waking people up who otherwise might have blissfully been unaware of the horror and just, you know, just the just the disturbing nature of what was going on in the Texas border before Abbott decided to take some action. Yes, so, you know.
0: Well, as you know, Leslie, our family came here. Uh, you know, we came here from Cuba and 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 and. I've never understood illegal immigration. I, I've always felt that immigration has to be orderly, that there has to be a process. This is how we came in. And 90, 99% of the Cubans came in that way. And and I've always felt that you know the United States is such a noble country. It angers me when people criticize American immigration policy, because in fact, the United States is a very noble country. It's one of the countries that actually brings in people under asylum claims. Most countries don't do that. And, but this asylum claim has to be political, not economic. And, 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 and this idea that you're just handing somebody a piece of paper and saying, okay, you want asylum, we'll give you a piece of paper, and you can wait for a judge to see you and God knows when, that's not asylum. That's not immigration. That is chaos. And somebody like myself looks at that. And then these debit cards in New York, that's another insanity. Uh, we look at that and we go, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. that's just crazy. You're insulting people like me and my well, late you're, parents. You're when insulting you and
1: cheapening citizenship for everybody, native born and legal immigrants as well. And, and the cards are offensive because we have lots of veterans out there who are hurting financially. Where's their debit card? They serve this country. Many sacrificed. Where's their debit card? Right. So. No, I agree. So, it, it it it's awful. It's like, but again, they're des- the, the people who are now experiencing the consequences are desperate for solutions, and the solutions there is just one: to stop right. it completely and to put up our border and to deport those who are not here legally.
0: Right. No, you're exactly right. And and that's what hopefully will come. But, but I can tell you, I was talking to a gentleman from Colombia the other day, and we were talking about this situation on the border. He has a sister who has been on the list to come into the country legally. And the sister has been on that list for several years. And she goes through all the paperwork, all the process, you know, all the stuff that you got to go through, which is extensive. And my friend was saying, it makes me angry. My sister is following the law, and she has to wait her turn. These people show up at the border, and they give them a, a piece of paper to see a judge. It's offensive. It's offensive to people who are following the law. And, and this is why I think you're going to see some surprises in the Hispanic vote. Because most of the Hispanics are here legally. And, and they, they, they don't like this, Leslie. You go down to South Texas, and the biggest critics... Of President Biden's policies are the many Hispanics who live there on the border. All these little like the chief of police and these border patrol agents, most of them are Hispanics, and they don't like it Leslie. They think it's insulting.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people who don't like it. We'll see how many of them don't like it in November. Well,
0: that's good. That's the key. You gotta really, get to
1: we rarely are limited in what we can do at this point. Um except for the powers the governor of each state can enact. And thank heavens there have been a number of governors supporting Greg Abbott. And uh, you can see how bifurcated the country is by those who are supporting Abbott versus those who, shall we say, are bitterly clinging to their anti-Trump immigration stances. And then we will see in November... um, where we are, especially if any of these entrants are terrorists. Well that's
0: and the that's what worries me. Yes. That's what worries me because you when you have that many people come in and they're not vetted, uh look, it's I, I, I hope it doesn't happen.
1: And I've already noted in another post in legal insurrection, the in, the incidents of syphilis have shot up dramatically. Right, right. Um as a result of this unconstrained you know, immigration of untested individuals, one of 400 of which do do come awry with some form of syphilis.
0: And so many single young men too. That's the other thing that that's more likely who would carry this, right?
1: Yes. You know, and, and as an extra bonus, we are running short of supplies that treat syphilis as, yeah. So it's all bad. There's not. It it
0: is all bad. You're right. Well, Leslie, as always, I wish we had more time, but we don't, but, that just means you have an open invitation to come back. Let me know when you want to do it.
1: Yeah, let's yeah, just see. you know, so I, well, first of all, let me wish you a pretty happy, well, actually a couple things. This upcoming weekend is Chinese New Year. So happy Chinese New right. Year. Dragon. Followed by... Mardi Gras Tuesday. So happy Mardi Gras, followed by Valentine's on right. Wednesday. So we have a very happy rest of your February. All I, right. For the month, I'm going to be uh, going to New Orleans and then on to a cruise of the Western Caribbean. So when I get back, I will give you a call, hopefully St. Patrick's Day.
0: Yes, we'll so do that. The- we'll do that really as we have been, before. It's yes.
1: And going on. Uh, yes.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's always great to see you. Always great to have you. And keep up the great work at uh, Legal Insurrection. And my best to you and to your family.
1: Yes. Back at you. Congratulations on the grandkids. Yes. uh, Congratulations on the fabulous show. And looking forward to spending the rest of 2024 doing punditry with you.
0: All right. Okay. Have a wonderful day, Leslie. Enjoy yourself, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Our good friend Leslie Eastman. Uh, contributor to legal insurrection. I always recommend that you check legal insurrection especially because of the wonderful work that Leslie done does there, as well as many others. They have some great contributors. Uh, and Leslie always writes a lot about climate change and issues like that that are very interesting. She has a her topics are always a little different from the rest of the stuff and that's why it's so it's so interesting to have her to have her on the show. Enjoy your day. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.